Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. I'm your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories and give you a behind-the-scenes look at the life of a technology reporter. We'll learn about the person behind the byline and get their thoughts on the top trending stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. everyone. This is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds. I am here today with Grant Gross. Grant, thanks for coming in. You bet. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So you are a veteran journalist, right? With, um, I think, over 25 years of experience. Yeah, close to 30. Close to 30 now. Okay. (laughs) Got it. Got it. So we would love to hear more about your experience, what got you into journalism, and kind of where you're at today. So go ahead and and kick us off. Uh, Yeah. um, I'm a Freelance journalist, been doing that for um, the last oh, year, year and a half or so. Um, I had spent about 14 years with um, a company called IDG, mm-hmm. um, in a division called IDG News Service. Um, most of that time I spent as a uh, Washington, D.C. correspondent for IDG publications, so PC World, Computer World, Network World, mm-hmm. all of those publications. Um, before that, worked at a couple other websites, um, spent about 10 years as a uh, newspaper reporter in the Dakotas in Minnesota. Uh, really? Yes. The Dakotas. <laughs> the, the Dakotas. I'm from North Dakota, I originally. Um, I started thinking about journalism in high school. So, um, oh, wow. Uh, um, decided, I think, uh, my senior year in high school that it sounded like a cool job that wouldn't have me sitting in the office every day and mm-hmm. have me going out and about and doing interesting things. Um, it's it's kind of ironic. At the time, I was painfully shy, and I my my typing skills were terrible. <laughs> and so when I told one of my teachers that I was going into journalism, she was like, huh. But, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it kind of worked out in the long run. Yeah, I'd say after 30 years. Yes. So, and you cover um, primarily technology and kind of the intersection of technology and public po- public policy. So, why that area specifically? Um, well, I've always been kind of interested in um, the, the political process, um, and uh, um, I, I had done kind of some government reporting before getting into technology reporting. And so um, when I were, when 15, 16 years ago, I, I was looking for a job in IDG, I had this opening that, that kind of merged mm-hmm. two of my um, interests, that being kind of the political process and technology. And so um, they had a job opening for a tech policy reporter, and I, I applied and got the job. and, and there I was. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I've had long time interest both in mm-hmm. the internet, technology, and in in kind of the way government works or, or doesn't work in some cases. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. We find that we interviewed a lot of them kind of stumble their way into tech. They're always interested in it, but it's always fascinating to see how they get into that field and how they, they stick with it because they kind of uncover more interesting things as they go along. Right. Um, I, and I I stumbled into tech reporting um, as well. I, I mm-hmm. started out, I was writing about, you know, school board meetings and and uh, state legislature in North Dakota and and uh, county commission meetings and, and uh, um, you know police reports and all that different stuff that you do at a small town newspaper. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I had been working as a managing editor at a small daily newspaper in Minnesota near, near Minneapolis. And um, a friend of mine um, had gone off over to this, um, this um, tech company called techies.com that no longer exists that was based mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. And they were looking for some content people, and she kind of introduced me to their editor, and, and I kind of stumbled into, into the technology field. Cool, that's interesting. So, you you wrote for IDG, um, you know, for about 13, 14 years. Mm-hmm. So, and now you're a freelancer. What publications do you contribute to nowadays? Um, it's kind of a, um, I don't have a lot of kind of big, big clients. I have a lot of kind of smaller clients that I do mm-hmm. a little bit for here and there. But um, the Internet Society, which is um, probably an organization you've heard of, I've done a lot of writing for them about Internet issues and, and kind of policy issues, so that's kind of mm-hmm. right in my wheelhouse. I've written some, there's a lot of, a lot of the freelancing these days I'm finding is not, at least when, when in my experience, it's not kind of traditional news sources. Um, I'm sure there's some of that out there. Um, but it's often sponsored sites. Um, so I've written for um, a site called securityintelligence.com that is sponsored mm-hmm. by IBM. Yep, we're familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I've written for um, a relatively new site called enterprise.nxt, which is sponsored by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Okay. Um, I've done work for um, a, a, a company called ServiceNow has just launched its own kind of web magazine focused on security and AI, artificial intelligence, and so I've done some stuff for them. So it's a, it's a I, I don't have a lot of people who want like 15 uh, stories a month from me. I mm-hmm. have a lot of people who, a lot of different people who want one or two stories a month from me. Mm-hmm. And that seems how it, it's working. And I've done some, some kind of blog posts, ghostwriting for people, op-eds, um, uh, white papers, although those aren't my favorite thing to do in the world. <laughs> but, you know. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, you mentioned sponsored sites. Um, do you do you think that some of the publications now are getting sponsored by security companies, and security companies are launching their own types of new sites? Is that kind of a trend we're seeing? Right. So, so security intelligence is um, an IBM creation, as I understand it. Um, um, and so they wanted to um, um, do some, uh, have people writing about security with kind of an IBM perspective, mm-hmm. uh, generally. Um, and so that's how they did that. Um, another site that I've written for in the past is a site called theparallax.com, and that's sponsored by a, a, an antivirus uh, cybersecurity vendor type of, uh, called Avast that's based in um, the Czech mm-hmm. Republic. Sure. But um, quite editorially independent. Um, but they they wanted to um, they saw a need for more kind of cybersecurity reporting, and so they, they sponsored the site. And so it, it, there's kind of a range of stuff. Some of the, some of the companies that are sponsoring sites are fairly hands off and say, you know, this is an editorially independent site, and we we want kind of traditional journalism. Um, or something approaching traditional journalism, and then some site, some sponsors want kind of their um, perspective told. So, so it's a range okay. of things. But I think, that but I sense. think, I think that in general, with um, kind of the news industry in general in a bit of a 
a downturn for the last, I don't know, 15, <laughs> 15 years or something like that. Uh, I think I, I think that that is a trend that we'll see more of that uh, people yeah. people that aren't kind of traditionally in the news business sponsoring web uh, content and, and hiring freelancers or in some cases staff to put that all mm-hmm. together. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to get into some of the topics that you're covering. I, I, we were looking at your latest on the Internet Society website about. Um, AI and fake news. I, I know you do cover AI um, a bunch, along with um, you know other cybersecurity topics. So, what are some of your favorite topics that you're most interested in these days? Well, that are catching is, your eye. Yeah, AI is one of them because I think there's so much potential there, um, and um, there's a lot of companies kind of experimenting with it. Um, and so, you, you see a lot of different things being tried and being done. And then, then there's the whole debate about kind of the limits of AI and, and um, should we put some limits on AI and, and all of that uh, good stuff that uh, doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So I think that's a very interesting topic. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, AI itself is kind of a broad topic that um, could go in a lot of different directions. And, and, right. and I think it's worth kind of keeping an eye on. I think that's a big... Uh, a trend that won't go away anytime soon. Uh, there seems to be, uh, you know, there are some other technologies that kind of get hot for a while and there's a lot of sure. hype and, and then they kind of settle down a little bit, but I don't think AI is going to be one of them. I think AI is, is more companies trying to figure out how to kind of automate processes mm-hmm. that, that humans have been doing, but that humans are, either aren't all that good at or humans, you know, Get bored with quickly, maybe um, AI is going yeah. to step into that role. Maybe maybe we can find AI that'll write white papers or something. <laughs> I think you're right about that. I don't think we'll <laughs> see AI going anywhere anytime soon. Right. Um, and then when you're looking for resources and, and sources to kind of help you, uh, you know, write your articles and develop your stories, what do you typically look for in a resource? Um, I look for experts. I, I mean, I look for people who've been doing it, um, or, or people who have a kind of track record um, mm-hmm. with with using the either using the, the technology or with developing the technology. And so, um, you know, I, I I often when I like in this past year, AI has been a fairly new topic for me, and so I've been I cast feelers out and say, hey, looking for people who have experience with this, can you, you know, and so there are some online tools for that help journalists hook up to sources, and so I've taken advantage mm-hmm. of some of those, um, but especially when you're new in a field and you're not, you're not kind of covering it every day, it's, it's kind of tough to kind of develop sources really quickly, you, right. you, you know, it, it takes some time to, to make that happen. Yeah, but you have to immerse yourself in the topic a little bit, and I'm sure there's a learning curve to it as well. There is, and and um, um, and and it's many technology topics. It takes you know many months to kind of figure out figure figure out just a basic understanding of it. So you know, it it, it, it takes some work. Oh yeah, um, and then I'm always interested in, in asking, what has been one of your, or you can say a couple too, one of your favorite stories that you've written. Oh, hmm. um, 
take your time. And there could be many of them. I mean, I'm yeah, you know, I, plenty I, of experience. I, yeah, I, I, I did some stuff back at IED News Service that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, for, for most of my time there, net neutrality was a big topic of debate oh, yeah. in Congress and at the Federal Communications Commission. And I did a series of stories about the kind of um, advocacy and groups and the think tanks that were involved in the net neutrality debate, and I mm. kind of track, track their funding. Um, and um, what, what I found was that all, some, some of the, the groups that were um, commenting or, or trying to influence the debate were fairly open about where they were getting their funding from. And some of them were not very open at all where they were getting mm -hmm. their funding from. So we were, um, a lot of that debate was influenced by groups that um, you didn't really know who they were getting their, getting their paychecks from. And so I did a couple of stories about that. I thought that was interesting. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Um, um, I covered a lot of the kind of Snowden surveillance. Oh uh, yeah, that was fascinating. That mm -hmm. was fascinating. Uh, um, I mean, there were a lot of people covering that, and so it was hard privacy, to yeah, yeah, privacy and and, and uh, you know, uh, constitutional rights issues. Um, a lot of people were covering that, and a lot of people with more resources than what we had were covering it. But I, I think. I did a story um, kind of a year after the Snowden disclosures about um, about Congress trying to figure out how to whether they should be reining in that program or anything, mm -hmm. and 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 basically the the NSA and the administration arguing the, the Obama administration at the time arguing that um, um, they were following the letter of the law. In, when it, when they were making some fairly um, kind of tortured definitions of some 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 of the terminology in the law that that um, they were that the law prevented bulk surveillance and they said that collecting the phone records of every every Verizon customer in the United States did, did not technically qualify as bulk surveillance. Yeah. Um, which, which um, you know, it seemed like a, a, a bit of a tortured uh, definition of um, how you define bulk yeah. in order to stay within the, the limits of the law. So those are a couple that I that yeah. I, I had fun with. Yeah, no, those definitely stand out. Really fascinating topics and really relevant. Um, and it's interesting to see how things have progressed in sense, too. I mean, here in, in 2018, we're seeing a ton on election security, a ton on AI. What do you think will be one of the biggest headlines of the year? Well, I, 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 um, in, in the technology industry and the government, I think election security is, is, is um, a huge topic. And I, mm -hmm. I you know, I think uh, DHS and the Trump administration said they're ready for um, anything that's coming down the pike in November, but I'm I'm not convinced that's true, <laughs> and, and so mm -hmm. and so uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of um, how that plays out and, and um, whether there are questions after the election about the le legitimacy of the election. I think um, I think particularly in that. Um, our current precedent is um, likes to question um, 
a lot of things that have not been questioned before. Um, I think if um, if Democrats do very well in in the election in in a couple of weeks here, as it appears they will, um, I think we might see President Trump questioning those results, um, even though he he's you know kind of the person in charge of protecting those results. So mm-hmm. it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we'll see a lot of, we're already seeing a ton of articles on it and a lot of, uh, you know, security vendors and different people weighing in on, on what to expect, how to protect elections and all that type of stuff. So. Right. And we still have a, a number of states. Um, I, I, I did a lot of reporting on this when I was still at IDG. We still have a number of states that have electronic voting machines mm-hmm. and and don't have a uh, an independent way to um, um, to audit them after after the results. I mean, you, you um, in some cases have to take the word of the electronic machine that it, it the results are correct. And okay. Independent audit of that, and that seems to be um, a not particularly secure way of uh, running elections. A lot of states have, have, in the last four to six years, have, have changed that, but there are still, um, I don't know, I, I forgot the last count, but 12 or 15 states that mm-hmm. at least part, part of the states have electronic voting machines without an independent audit function on it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see what happens. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then we always like to just kind of get to know a little bit more about um, about you as a, as a person and as a journalist. So um, what would you say is one of your biggest pet peeves as a journalist? And you've been a great time interested in your take on a, a pet peeve of yours. Pet yeah. peeves. Uh, are, are you asking pet peeves about public relations people or just in oh. general? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go either direction. <laughs> um in general about a journalist, yeah. um, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I think on, on a kind of really top or, or high level perspective, um, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the journalism industry as a whole is, is doing very badly and, and um, um, you know, I have to see a way to to somehow fix it, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have any any brilliant ideas myself, so I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah. How to do that? I, I think um, you know we've had layoff after layoff after layoff after layoff at newspapers and online publications, oh, yeah. and, and and I mean I, I'm a freelancer because I got laid off for the third time and decided that the universe was trying to tell me something. Um, um, so I, you know, I think I think without a healthy, um, healthy independent um, media, a democracy suffers. And, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, on a high level, that would be a, a pet peeve of mine. Got it. Now that's very insightful. Um, and then, kind of going off your other direction, you know, what <laughs> advice would you give a PR professional, you know, trying to, um, you know, pitch an expert or a story or that type of thing? Um, well, so I, 
I think I, I, mean, I think most TR people understand what uh, understand on a certain level what they're trying you know the journalists they're trying to pitch and, and what mm-hmm. um, I think there's still I, I, I think I still get a lot of pitches that are really off topic but <laughs> that have nothing to do with what I'm writing. I think you still work at IDG. <laughs> well, well, but and that's fine. You know, I, I've yeah. only been away from IDG for you know 12, 14, 15 months or something. So sure. okay, you know that's fine. Um, you know, but hey, you did this this one story about this one topic, and you did one story seven years ago. And so I want to pitch you a t- mm-hmm. uh, another story about that topic. And I'm like, right. oh, that, that's the only story I've ever done about that topic. And I'm probably not going to do another one. Um, so, sure. so there's, and then there's, I mean, you know, I, I think there are services that collect journalists' names and, and kind of try to keep up to what what we're up to. But I, I, do, I mean, there are a lot of pitches that are like. Um, Really off topic, um, and then and then if you if you um, I mean I try to answer most emails and say look this is a this is, I, I can't use this right now I'll, I'll let you know if that changes, um, um, but there are cases where I'm like I'm not sure that even deserves a response and so on. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. and then two two days later the person will write back or call and say hey I sent you this email about this this thing and you didn't respond. Right. Yeah. yeah so. so the takeaway is to, you know, do research and make sure your topic is relevant. Right, right. To what you're um, covering. And, and, and sometimes it's hard, you know, I get it. I, 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 sometimes it, it's hard to, you know, what is relevant to me may not, may not be perfectly evident. I mean, if I'm writing for IBM security intelligence and they have very kind of specific guidelines of what, what kind of story they want. True, yeah. Um, the PR person may not know that and so they may pitch me and say, I hear you writing about cybersecurity and this may be, a, a, this, this thing may be interesting to you and, and I'm like, well, you know, the, none of my current clients want that kind of thing. But, I, you know, that's mm-hmm. not really the PR person's fault. That's just, sure. you know. So, yeah, no, that's you know, interesting. And, and I don't, and I think some journalists seem to make that problem to be a bigger one than it really is. I mean, if you get an email that's totally off topic, it's pretty easy to, to hit the, hit the, you know, move it into the trash, hit the trash. Oh button. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think what probably annoys me a little bit is what after I move it into the trash, then the person contacting me two or three other times and asking. Again, if I'm interested. <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. That's good. Good to know. And then do you find that you use um, research a lot? Because, you know, we see more and more companies uh, doing research reports and surveys and collecting data and threat intelligence. Do you find that type of that type of information useful? It can be. Yeah. Yeah. In general, it can be. Um, there are... Um, Yes, in surveys and things like that, if surveys mm-hmm. are done, um, if surveys are done legitimately and, and using, you know, um, tr- traditional survey methods, um, and and you know, research reports done um, in a fairly um, non-partisan or non—I know what you non, mean—non-commercial way. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think what I, going back to my experience with, um, with um, government and, and with, there, there's this cottage industry of tech analysts, tech policy analysts, who, who like to write research reports about um, the potential impact of a certain policy on, you know, this industry or that industry, when in fact that that research really comes with a point of view, and in, that, happens, that happens also out in the commercial space. And so, um, part of my job as a journalist is to kind of look at that research and, and understand whether it's whether it's you know relatively uh, um, objective. Or not. Yeah, whether it comes with another agenda or not. R right. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, no, great. This has been really insightful. I love learning about your role as a freelancer and hearing about all of the experience in the, in the reporting industry. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm glad we could finally connect. All right. Thank you much. Great. Thanks. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. All right. Bye.